0: You do not want to miss today's broadcast, an important interview on the new politics of sex. Thanks friends for joining us on the line of fire. This is Michael Brown and we, we want every day on the line of fire to be important. We want to serve every day as your voice of moral sanity and spiritual clarity. There are days though, when the topics are even more relevant, even more intense, even more important. And that is the focus of today. Today's show, I've got some really important things I want to talk to you about. And then at the bottom of the hour, I'm going to be joined by Professor Stephen Baskerville to talk about his book, The New Politics of Sex. I want to make one quick appeal to you. You know, we don't talk much about money here on the line of fire. We trust God for finances and support. We're a faith ministry. We're on the air with your help and support. But often in the summer months, Uh, There's more pressure. Things just get a little intense. People sometimes forget about ministries. If you could help us with a one-time gift of any amount, we do have some urgent needs today, literally today. If you could help us with a one-time gift of any amount, that would be a great blessing to us. Go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, and click on Donate, all right? askdrbrown.org, click on Donate. Whatever you're able to do, if the Lord prompts you, if you're able to help, your one-time gift of any size would really help meet some urgent needs that we're confronting at this very hour. All right, first important subject. There are many who are very upset with me, think I'm just deluded off my rocker to take such exception to Amazon's banning of certain books, books dealing with, quote, conversion therapy, which are really sexual orientation change efforts, in particular books by the late Catholic psychologist, Dr. Joseph Nicolosi. I wrote about that earlier in the week, and the title of my article was, Will Amazon Ban the Bible Next? Will Amazon Ban the Bible Next? Now, on the one hand, I don't literally expect Amazon to ban the Bible. On the other hand, I fully expect them to ban biblically related material and who knows where it will ultimately go. Hence, my question to underscore this. A conservative journalist and author, Rod Dreher, tweeted this out as well. He he wanted people to understand exactly what the issues were. And this is what he tweeted. You can buy books by Hitler, Mao, Lenin, Marx, Goebbels, and David Duke on Amazon.com, but not by Catholic shrink Joseph Nicolosi, who offends gay activists. Ominous sign for free speech, debate, and inquiry in age of woke capitalism. So, yeah, I have been taken to task for warning about this by numerous websites. Here are just a few links that were sent to me of folks taking me to task I'm extremist. I'm crazy for, for saying, where's Amazon going to go with this next? For example, on Queerty.com, Christian extremists fear for their Bibles after Amazon bans books on ex-gay therapy. So we're crazy. To even sound the alarm. We're crazy. Even to raise an issue, we're crazy even to say there's going to be any kind of problem or this, this is going to go even further or what Amazon's doing is, is really bad at all. It's just the Christian extremist crazy. Here uh, from the Friendly Atheist website, Deluded Writer, that's me, I'm the Deluded Writer. Deluded Writer, and what's the Deluded Writer saying? Amazon ban conversion, th- conversion therapy books, will the Bible be next? How ridiculous, how crazy, how idiotic can I possibly be? obviously, I was making a rhetorical point, but in my article, I said there's no hyperbole. The reason being that we see the direction in which this is going here's a, another attack. This is a blog from the the freethinker Amazon pulls gay cure quacks books. will the Bible be next mocking me and uh, let me let me read to you directly what this fellow says, Uh, despite proof from a variety of sources that Nicolosi was in Wayne Besson's word, an arrogant hate mongering demagogue. And by the way, Wayne Besson is a militantly anti Bible, atheistic Jewish gay activist. So when Wayne says something about somebody, you kind of turn it the opposite because that's probably what it is. So according to Wayne Besson, Joseph Nicolosi was an arrogant hate mongering demagogue. So there are those who insist that the father of conversion therapy, some call him had done excellent work. One is the deranged Dr. Michael L. Brown, that's me, he made a picture of me, who writes for LifeSite Life News, and he, beside himself with fury, that Amazon has decided to remove Nicolosi's books. I didn't, I didn't know I was beside myself with fury, but it's good to get that insight. Yes, I've learned something about myself. This Jew for Jesus freak said of the removal, <laughs> then, then he goes on. I didn't know who the fellow was writing this article, but, but I clicked on his name and found out about Barry Duke. Barry Duke began to comprehend the despicable nature of Christianity was in his, when he was in his pre So he's a few years older than me, born in 47, I'm born in 55. So these are some of the folks mocking our position, saying we're crazy, we're deluded. You know, I remember about 15 years ago, close to that, when I began saying those who came out of the closet fighting for what, in their view, was equality, intelligence, and acceptance, those who came out of the closet wanted to put us in the closet. And I was mocked. No one wants to put you in the closet? Crazy? Who would do that? And then a few years later, the, the tone changed, and, and I began to hear, well, bigots like you belong in the closet. And then we heard, no, no, no. No one, no one wants to change the nature of marriage or anything that we we just want our relationships to be accepted. You know, same sex civil unions, whatever. And then when that happens, no, no, that's not enough. That's bigoted. We, we're going to redefine marriage, and then we're told, no, no, look, look, the church is a synagogue. you can believe whatever you believe. That's fine. We just need our beliefs accepted in our circles. Oh, that's not enough. Now we're being attacked for holding to what we believe and 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 wanting to act on it in our own families. This is literally. What's going on? But, but I, I want you to see that our warnings, uh, our forebodings are not so diluted and extreme as the critics might think. So, for example, FRC, Family Research Council, they put out this article May 10th, 2018. Sponsors of California's AB 2943 claim it wouldn't ban the Bible. But what about... These books, so AB 2943 was going to make it illegal for anyone of any age with unwanted same sex attraction or gender identity confusion to get professional help to help them resolve those issues. All right. It would make it illegal. The only help you could get is to affirm your same sex attraction, your gender identity confusion. And, and, and the bill almost was, was passed. Okay. It was withdrawn pretty much last minute, but otherwise it would have gone through. So. I wrote about this. W- will the Bible be banned, etc.? W- where is this going? Because the Bible is telling you that homosexual practice is sinful, and the Bible is telling you that change is possible. That's the whole point. If if a professional psychologist that helps people with unwanted same sex attraction is going to have his books banned on Amazon, what about my book? Can you be gay and Christian? What about many ex-gay testimony books? What about the? Uh, will those be banned? What about the Bible itself, which has this message? So FRC. And 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 I don't want to put up the picture for those that are watching. FRC said, "Okay, maybe the Bible won't be banned. Maybe, but what about these books?" So so here you have books like "Preventing Homosexuality." All right, you you have a couple of books authored by Joseph Nicolosi. Right there in the picture, May tenth, two thousand eighteen, asking under AB twenty nine forty three, will books like this be banned? Because it would have been illegal, say for a pastor. To tell someone coming for professional counseling here, I recommend this book, go to our church bookstore and buy it. Well, what about the Bible, which undergirds these very truths that change is possible? Ah, nobody's going to ban it. Well, Amazon just banned it and people are celebrating. Let's go a little bit further. Maybe you've been following what's happened uh, over in Australia, New Zealand with famous rugby star Israel Folau. I mispronounced his name. My apologies. Outspoken Christian, and he posted Instagram, tweeted out his message saying that drunkards, adulterers, homosexuals go to hell. So he gets fired for doing that. He gets fired, loses his contract for doing that. He said, on to his quote in the Bible, what about freedom of speech? So now, Rugby Australia, this is now being admitted. Rugby Australia assigns staffers to monitor Israel Fellows' social media. For problematic Bible verses. They are now admitting that they were that they assigned staffers to look for this. What about freedom of speech? What about freedom of religion? Isn't that on some level sacrosanct in Australia? Who says an athlete can not post his sincerely held religious beliefs that have been held to and believed by church and synagogue for two millennia? Who says he can't do that based on what? Oh, no. But, but its it 's even worse than that look look at this, look at this admission, also just released. Rugby Australia says Bible itself is the problem in a stunning omission about Israel follows firing, and then it goes on to say this: The chief executive officer of Rugby Australia has revealed the sporting organization 's fierce anti Christian bias by suggesting that she would have terminated star Play. Israel fellows playing contract if he had, quote, photocopied Bible passages and posted them to his social media. There you have it. He would have been fired for simply quoting a Bible passage that was felt to be offensive. The ultimate battle that the gay activists and others have is not with Dr. Nicolosi, is, is, is not with those who've come out of homosexuality, either by God's supernatural deliverance or through counseling and help. No, the ultimate battle is with the Bible that says that God made male and female, that the relationships that he blesses are heterosexual relationships, that homosexual practice is contrary to his order, that there is a better way. And that through Jesus, there can be freedom from homosexual practice and even potentially change of desires on the inside. Hence All the mockery that we're getting. Oh, yeah, you're crazy, deluded. All we're doing is sounding the alarm in a reasoned way. And we have good reason. We told you this was coming. People mocked us when it came. Now that it's here, people are celebrating the current stance, the banning of books, and mocking us for giving further warning. You have been forewarned. The handwriting is on the wall.
1: the line of fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: Thanks for joining us, friends. 866-34-TRUTH is the number to call. Uh, Again, bottom of the hour, I'm going to be joined by Professor Stephen Baskerville. Can't wait to talk about his book, The New Politics of Sex, I knew about the book. I knew about his writings. I had not read through the book before. As I've been looking at it, looking at excerpts, a major review about it that just came out, uh, I'm shocked at the degree of intersection between what's in his book and in my book about to come out, Jezebel's War with America. If you've not yet ordered the book, comes out August 6th, you say, well, wait till then. Can I recommend you pre-order? Because when you pre-order... You get the ebook free, plus the ebook for playing with holy fire free, plus another mini ebook of mine free, plus an audio video. There's a ton of stuff free, over fifty dollars from the publisher, quite to my surprise. All right. So go to Jezebel's war with Jezebel's War with America.com. It will help you connect the dots. As, as soon as you order, I think you get the first three chapters on PDF. So you'll immediately be able to dive in. And then the book will be out in less than a month. So go there, jessabelswarwithamerica.com. It'll tell you how to order. And go ahead go ahead and order on Amazon. That's, that's fine. Let's get the, the ratings up there. Let's get more people ordering that book from Amazon. That's perfectly fine. Let, let's subvert the wrong things Amazon is doing while appreciating the good services Supply. You can order it elsewhere, and then when you pre-order it, you go back there to Jezebel's War with America, and you get all those free bonuses. I'm so glad that we're able to do that. But friends, let us have our eyes open. Let us connect the spiritual dots. We go to Salt Lake City, Utah. Anthony, welcome to the Line of Fire.
2: Yes. Hi, Dr. Brown. I love your show. Thank you so much.
0: You're very welcome. Hey, uh, Mike,
2: my- my comment is the Jezebel war is like real. Um, if you've watched, uh, there's a professor in Canada, Jordan Peterson, who is a professor at a University at Toronto, and in Canada they have uh, in the universities they pass something like compelled speech. Uh, basically, you have he wouldn't acknowledge the LGBT pronouns.
0: Yeah, so specifically and, um, tra- transgender pronouns. So let's say that, that I want to identify as as Michelle and I want to be referred to as she, her, then that would be compelled. And Jordan Peterson, who had been researching communism for decades and the, the types of, of forced thought that communism used in forced speech, that's what caused him to push back against this. It wasn't just the transgender non-realities that were being imposed on people but also with that this larger form of compelled speech in fact i had jordan peterson on the show anthony right before he exploded into international stardom as maybe the best known uh, conservative intellectual on the planet these days but any anyhow yeah he's been at the forefront of fighting this battle back to you anthony yes and one
2: thing that he stood up for, and I, I guarantee you, you can't be passive as a Christian on this point, because if you just let legislation happen, like in California, they're forcing the potential for pastors to accept, you know, LGBTQ theology.
0: Yeah, it's it's the spirit of Jezebel, Anthony. There, there's no question about it. So in California, the the resolution is that ACR 99, it's not binding law, but it would be right. something carrying a lot of force, saying that, that pastors, spiritual leaders, but putting pastors right at the front, those with strong moral influence, pretty much have to affirm homosexuality is good and positive, pretty much have to affirm someone's uh, transgender confusion as, as good and positive, as opposed to saying, hey, we love you, we care for you, we're here for you. We, we don't want you mistreated in any way, but we do not affirm homosexual practice and we believe God's best is to be at home in your biological sex. So, so Anthony, what you're saying and, and what I'm saying is, is that when we talk about the spirit of Jezebel, we mean the same demonic forces that operated through Jezebel 3,000 years ago. This is the whole premise of my book, that they're operating again today. Jezebel is associated with idolatry. With idolatry was baby killing. Jezebel is also associated with sexual immorality and witchcraft. Jezebel emasculated men. Jezebel in that sense was a radical feminist. And then Jezebel silenced the prophets. She literally killed them. She intimidated them with fear. And you look at this, you begin to connect the dots. And and even the war on gender, which makes men into women and women into men, you, you connect these things. You say, that's what we're dealing with in America today. I just did an interview uh, yesterday for Canada. The same deal. They're, they're dealing with this in Canada. You just mentioned Jordan Peterson. So we've got to open our eyes. It's, it's a spiritual battle. Yes, there are people, and we're dealing with people, and every, every individual is responsible for what he or she does. No one can say the devil made me do it. We make our choices. We, we make our bed and have to sleep in it in that regard But we must recognize the demonic forces at work to destroy. And to me, you put it all together. What is it? It is the spirit of Jezebel, the same demonic forces. If you go back 50 years in America, we weren't dealing with the same forces on the same level. We were dealing with other issues. All right, thank you for the call. 866-34 Truth. Um yeah, and and uh Thank you for those standing with us on YouTube, Scott and others. We appreciate it. Again, if you're just tuning in, thank you so much for all the kind words you send. Thank you for your encouragement regarding the broadcast. Thank you so much for praying for us. And those who support us regularly, thank you for being the the backbone of what we do. We just find ourselves right now in July oppressed in some unusual ways. And every so often, very, very rarely, We just put out a special appeal. So if you're listening, if you're watching now, and you can help with a one-time gift of any size, obviously the larger, the better, the the needs are urgent, but whatever you're able to do, you feel on your heart, every bit helps. Just take a moment, go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org, click on Donate. All right, thank you in advance for standing with us. Uh, Let us go over to Ashley in Iowa. Welcome to the Line of Fire.
3: Hello, Dr. Brown.
0: Hello. Go ahead.
3: How are you today?
0: Doing very well, Ashley.
3: Um, I just have a quick comment about Dr. Baskerville. I'm very excited that you're having him on your show. I used to go to the college that he works at, and back in 2013, he gave a talk at the college, Patrick Henry College. Mm-hmm. Um, regarding a lot of the research that he was doing for his book, The New Politics of Sex. And Patrick Henry is a conservative Christian college, but that talk caused a firestorm among the students on campus. Even back in 2013, people mm. were upset at the claims that he was making, and it shocked me as a undergrad, 19-year-old way back then, that conservative Christians, especially Christians, would be so upset with what he was saying and um, so this so is 2000 this is to his message
0: this is at patrick henry which the whole reason the school exists is to be a school with a real conservative christian mindset and outlook not and, and to be a smaller school at that with with profs like professor baskerville and so what what would you say would would be the the thesis, the statements that, that were most controversial upsetting to the students?
3: Um, thinking back, students were upset that he was, they felt like he was painting with a very broad brush. Mm -hmm. They felt like he wasn't, um, sensitive to the people who had actually gone through divorce, people who were actually struggling with same sex attraction. Um, they felt like he was stuck in the past and that he should, uh, he need, that he needed to, uh, update his thinking. Now this wasn't a majority of the students. It was a minority, but it was still a very vocal minority that upset everyone. I would say maybe 20 to 25% of the student body Mm. held that view. So yeah, that, that's a um, substantial, Yeah.
0: yeah, excellent. So, so let, let me ask, let me ask you this. Uh, and obviously, whatever we say uh, can be misconstrued. In other words, if, if I'm emphasizing, say, the, the terrible harm done by pornography, at that moment, I may not stop and, and talk about how people get pulled into pornography or, or how someone becomes a porn star, maybe the brokenness out of their own lives. Or if I'm talking about the, terro- the terrible damage done by no fault, heterosexual divorce in the church, I may not at that moment speak compassionately to those who are victims of divorce and hurt, et cetera. So, you know, you, you always want to qualify what you say and be compassionate. But bottom line is when we're, we're sounding an alarm and putting out facts and information, it's, it is intense. And uh, I was talking to another professor at a major Christian university, and she mentioned to her shock with a freshman class, just talking about abortion and homosexuality and getting pushback. So, yeah, things, things have changed in certain dramatic ways. And you know what's, what's wild? Maybe another day we'll have time to chat, Ashley. But uh, your perspective from six years back when you were 19 to 25 today, how the culture has changed and how much what Dr. Baskerville was warning about back then has, has now been verified, clarified, his views vindicated in so many ways. Hey, thank you for the call. Much appreciated. By the way, I just glanced down at our YouTube chat uh, for one moment. I, I don't get to see the vast majority of comments, but I spotted one in, in Hebrew from Hadassim. So Hadassim, thank you. Uh, even though you don't agree with my ideology, you enjoy listening to me. I appreciate that. Keep on listening. All right, we come back. We're going straight to Professor Stephen Basketball to talk about his important book, The New Politics of Sex. I know you won't go anywhere. Change the world Change the world god of light hear our cry send the fire.
1: it's the line of fire with your host dr michael brown your voice of moral cultural and spiritual revolution here again is dr michael
0: brown my friends, this is an interview I should have done a long time ago getting with Professor Stephen Baskerville. I've appreciated different writings of his over the years, and I'm so glad to finally have him on the line of fire. He's currently professor of government at Patrick Henry College and research fellow at the Howard Center for Family, Religion and Society. Holds a Ph.D. from London School of Economics. His writings have been published in places like The Washington Post. Yeah, liberal places like that or You may have seen him on TV either with with Chris Matthews or with Bill O'Reilly or heard him with Dennis Prager. And the book we want to focus on, The New Politics of Sex, The Sexual Revolution, Civil Liberties, and the Growth of Governmental Power. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us on the broadcast. It's my pleasure. Thank you. You are very welcome. So, Uh, How long have these issues been on your radar as a Christian?
2: Uh, I started writing about these issues about 20 years ago, and I started with my previous book, which was centered largely on the divorce industry and the politics behind it, because I realized that nobody really had analyzed. There were a lot of cliches about a Divorce and nasty custody battle, but nobody with training in political science had really gone behind the scenes and behind the cliches and looked at the at the structure, the politics, the government machinery, the interest groups um, that were that were behind all of this. And after I finished that, I realized that this was just um, one part of a larger pattern. I began to see the same a similar pattern in other areas of our life, dealing with. Um, campus rape accusations, dealing with homosexual politics, dealing with the larger politics of, uh, you know, the feminist agenda. And since then, it's just been exploding with, you know, transgenderism, or the, you know, what I call the sexual agenda or the sexual revolution has simply become a, a reductio at absurdum. It's just gotten more and more extreme. So that's that's where I came from on this about 20 years ago.
0: You know what's so interesting is that it was... 15 years ago for me that I began to focus on issues having to do with LGBT activism. really the T part. Transgender wasn't major at that point incipient, but, but not major. And then watch things grow over the years and, and then began to connect the dots. I've got a new book, Jezebel's war with America. I began to connect the dots and say, hey, wait, the rise of porn and the sexual revolution there. And then, of course, no fault divorce over here. And then the war on gender over here and then radical feminism over here began to connect the dots. So so you've been doing that in an even broader way for a longer period of time. But but what gets my attention and the dot that I might not have immediately connected is the part about the growth of government in your subtitle. So tie that in. And then paint a picture for for our viewers and listeners as to what you mean by the new politics of sex.
2: Well, that's the heart of the issue for me in, in many ways. Is people, there's a lot of cliches again about you know the the radicalism of the sexual revolution and some of its you know apparent absurdities. But the bottom line in, in, in almost all of it, um, across the different issues, is that it increases government power. And I argue that basically the the, the two parent family. is the only domestic configuration that that limits the power of the state because it creates an authority uh, that the state traditionally can't enter without a compelling interest. Once you tamper with that, once you alter with that, once you reduce the integrity of the traditional two-parent family, you invite the state in uh, to fill fill the vacuum. And all of the other configurations, the single-parent homes, the the same-sex households, all of these things require government power to support them. The 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 model of the breadwinning father and and the um, the caretaking mother, with variations, but you know the basic model um, is is a a relatively autonomous economic unit that creates the prosperity of a society and it it creates the freedom of a society because it creates a unit that the the government can't enter. And I I first saw this in the divorce uh, again, the divorce phenomenon, where um, basically once you allow uh, one couple to to, to one one spouse to, to dissolve. The marriage unilaterally without any grounds it's an invitation for the state to come in and start ordering controlling the lives of both parents and especially any children um, and again I saw this elsewhere I said in, in domestic violence accusations in accusations of child abuse uh, all of these are essentially uh, create police powers in the, in the hands of either social workers or police themselves or, or judges and lawyers and they they criminalize otherwise innocent law-abiding citizens such as foremost parents. So there's a number of ways um, I could I could go on I mean one of the one of the antecedent um, conditions that, that laid the groundwork for all of this was the growth of the welfare state and the welfare state of course again is, is a system where the government uh, rather than the family provides for the, the family for the children especially. Um, rather than the breadwinning father or the, or the you know the, supplemented by a breadwinning mother, you've got a welfare system. Where the, where the family breaks down, and, and the state steps in and fills that vacuum. So the whole thing is, is a massive uh, rationalization for for an increase in government power into the most private uh, sphere of life, the family, the, the private uh, the private household.
0: All right. So so let me let me play the devil's advocate here and, and push back in, in a couple of ways. The first question would be: Is is uh-huh. who is behind this? Are you suggesting some type of massive conspiratorial plot? to destroy America and, and it's controlling the government. And and if so, what do you do with the fact that we've had many conservatives leading our nation and conservative Christians in different high places in our nation. So who's behind this and how does it tie in with the conservatives that we've often had at the helm?
2: Yeah, I, I don't subscribe to the idea that it's a conspiracy, though it, it certainly can look like one, but I think it's, it's the logic of what happens when you start, um, denying basic principles of, of civilization, of traditional values. In this case, the, the importance of the family. I mean, no stable society, no civilized society, no civilization has ever um, dispensed with marriage and the two parents' family or some, some form of, of the family unit. Um, uh, and this is precisely what we have done. I mean, the, the people have labeled no-fault divorce, for example, as the abolition of marriage, which in terms of Law—that's precisely what it is—and once you once you abolish something so fundamental to our civilization, other people step in. Private uh, government steps in, as I've argued. Our private interests step in. Everyone gets, to, gets wants to get their nose into the trough. Um, the family becomes a um, uh, a unit of plunder, an object of plundering by various um, special interest groups. Uh, I argue that the father is especially vulnerable. The, the removal of the father is the kind of sine qua non, the, the, the first step in the destruction of the family. It often leads to the removal of the mother after that. But first first step, once the father is removed, then all of the other uh, interest groups, the judges, the lawyers, the uh, psychologists, the, um, you know the, the various private interests, all have a, are, are an excuse. To enter the family, to loot the family, to take control of the children, um, and to uh, you know, to basically um, cynically, I think, claim that they're they're looking out for the children better than the parents can do. So it's it's not it's not a conspiracy. It's the logic of what happens when you mm-hmm. deny these basic principles that have served as the basis of civilization for for millennia.
0: Right, right. So the the conspiracy is that in this world. There are people with certain ideologies, agendas. There are people who cast off biblical values. There are people who cast off family foundations. And when doors are open, they then walk through those doors and their ideology rises to the surface. Of course, from a spiritual perspective, you could look at a a spiritual conspiracy behind all of this. But what you're saying is there is a societal logic and and the dominoes start to fall and then that creates gaps, holes, and then others are going to come in and occupy the space. So how does that translate out then to what's being put forward by professors at our universities and teachers of our children in elementary school? What, what does this break down to now uh, in terms of how they're being indoctrinated?
2: That's a very good question, and I'm I'm in the thick of that since I do work in an institution of higher Learning, even a Christian one. Um, well, this is this is precisely what is happening. What's happened, I think, and I tend, like like you put it just now, to explain this ideologically. I mean, some people say follow the money, and certainly there are moneyed interests um, making a profit on all of this. But it, I think the initial uh, impetus behind it is ideological. It's a, it's a political ideology, and I think that that political, whether you call it you know neo Marxist or feminist or homosexualist or whatever sexualist. Um and I think what's happened is is it's filled again, it too has filled the vacuum that was created when we denied basic Christian values. In, in other words, basically family life, sexuality, private life for for you know for, for decades, centuries. This has been governed by, by religious values. In the West, that means that means Christian values. And when we denied those values, when we ignored them, when we put them away and, and treated them as unimportant, something had to fill the gap, something had to fill the space. And that something is secular political ideas. Ideology, in this case, um, a kind of sexual ideology, a kind of uh, pushing the envelope beyond Marxism and communism to a a radical sexual ideology. And and that's what's taken control in the universities, certainly. Uh, It's taken control in, it's it's taking over the schools and the other commanding heights of the the culture. Um, Because once you you have to have, every society has some kind of religious values. Uh, There's no society without religious values, and, and every society has to control. Sexuality, there's no, there's no, you can't leave it to chaos, and so once you throw away or or deny or diminish Christian values or or religious values, um, something fills the gap. And and if you look at it, you know the feminist ideology, the homosexual ideology, like the Marxist before it, does operate as a kind of quasi-religious secular ideology. It's got, uh, it's got its 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 sins. It's got its Ten Commandments. It's got its uh, punishments. and when we, when we denied sexual morality, when well, we started, you know, adopting the sexual morality of Woodstock hippies, that obviously couldn't last. It was, it was a prescription for chaos. So the feminists have stepped in, and they've created what, what was a, a freedom-loving ideology of, you know, sexual freedom, has become highly authoritarian. And, and this is one of the themes of the book, is how innocent people, men mostly, but also parents generally, Christians, um, mothers in some cases, are criminalized by
3: these authoritarian
0: structures that are being put in place by um, radical sexual ideology. Mm. Yeah. So the the ones calling for tolerance or anything but tolerant, they are utterly intolerant for all other views. And I noticed in your book that you you quoted something I had written back in two thousand eleven about the progression of homosexual activism. But in short, those who came out of the closet want to put us in the closet. So you were seeing that the criminalizing of free speech, that which bucks the system. And uh, fascinatingly to me, uh, Dr. Baskerville, when uh, right before you came on, we got a call from one of your students who was a freshman at Patrick Henry in 2013 when you gave a talk about uh, a number of these issues. And she said that to her shock, maybe 20% or more of, of the students present pushed back and were offended by it at a Christian... Based school like patrick henry Wright. we'll be right back with dr stephen baskerville his important book the new politics of sex does
1: you it's the line of fire with your host activist author international speaker and theologian dr michael brown your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown.
0: You know, the, the previous book by Dr. Stephen Baskerville, my guest today, was titled Taken into Custody, Oregon's Father's Marriage and the Family. Now, a follow-up book, The New Politics of Sex. And it's divided up into a few basic sections. Uh, number one, politicizing sex. Number two, liberating sex. Number three, criminalizing sex. Number four, globalizing sex. Uh, Stephen, when you speak of globalizing sex, you're talking now beyond the American government, beyond what's happening in our country. What, what are you seeing happening around the world?
2: Yes, well, this is one of the dimensions that has received less attention, but it is striking. It was striking to me when I began looking into it how how much of the sexual agenda um, is uh, it, it dominates uh, so much of our um, foreign po- the foreign policy of this country and other other Western nations and international organizations like the United Nations. Uh, what we see on the you know television, the Security Council and the and the General Assembly is a tiny part of what the United Nations do. It's like the tip of the iceberg. Beneath that Uh, The huge army of functionaries and bureaucrats, and they are overwhelmingly devoted to these issues, sexual issues, Uh, it's huge. The European Union, you can say something very similar to that, Um, so much of the human rights agenda. When we hear about human rights, uh, w- w- it doesn't concern any more you know, repressive measures taken by governments against dissenters. But this is the image we have. But much of the human rights agenda today is taken up with with sexual issues. So people pushing abortion as if it's a human right. Um, even, even domestic violence, which most of us think of as a crime and should be adjudicated as a crime, is now treated as a human rights issue, which means essentially that there's a presumption of guilt against the those who are accused, and so it's it's, it's huge. The, the, the AIDS. I was shocked when I read um, about the AIDS. How that's been politicized, thanks and much sure of this, by the way, is, is based on the work of other scholars who have investigated some of this. Um, uh, Edward Green's book on and how AIDS policy has been politicized is shocking, uh, and I, I use that a lot. Um, it's shocking to me. It's shocking to me how much of sexual radicalism now governs the the development agenda, the the agenda of developing nations. Um, It used to be that that agenda was dominated by Marxists, and when the Soviet Union Union collapsed, Marxism was no longer really respectable. So sexual politics has now come to dominate um, the the, the agenda of developing nations, and it's it's been horrible because it's, I mean, you can make a very good case that poverty is worsened by the breakup of the the family uh, in, in the global South, much as it is... The same as happens in the inner cities of this country. In other words, when you create single-parent homes rather than two-parent homes, you you create ghettos of of poverty and crime and dysfunctional societies. And this has happened in the global South, much as it happens in in the South Bronx or the you know Anacostia. Mm-hmm. So it's it's very striking to me how much of these these international agendas are are put, are obsessed. We saw an inkling of this in the last couple of years of the Obama administration, yeah, where. Um, LGBT issues came to dominate foreign policy, and many people, including me, uh, had trouble at that point, uh, realized, where did this come from? Why are we suddenly... uh, Well, it's it's very simple. Um, Foreign policy is an area that most people don't pay attention to. Um, Domestic policy is scrutinized by many people, but many of these radical groups have found that in foreign policy at the United Nations, in the State Department, in the British Foreign Ministry, they can push this sexual agenda without a lot of pushback, without a lot of challenge challenge. And I think that's
0: the reason this is happening. Yeah. And just tracking with the UN and the rights of children and you think, wait, wait, what's this actually about? You begin to read it is, it is quite striking. So let's, let's double back to something that you've mentioned a few times with the welfare system, with the removal of of fathers from homes with the potential incentive even for someone to have more children without a father in the home in your view, honestly, those that were behind the the setting up of what we would call the welfare state today, how much of it was well-meaning but misguided without looking in a, in a longer-term, visionary way? And how much of it was intentional in terms of producing a certain negative government-dependent result? It's Very good question.
2: Um, the main historian of this Phenomenon. One of them, anyway, is Alan Carlson, and he tends to take a charitable view that this was intentional, well-meaning, well-meaning, and that many early welfare state proponents were actually trying to help the family. And there's some plausibility in that. Um, But there were also counter pressures. Um, There were pressures of people like Jane Addams, for example, to politicize the, the the field of social work and to turn social workers from being Christian volunteers, which is what they were largely in the 19th century. Um, you know, women, for the most part, was, uh, worked out of the, literally the goodness of their hearts and, and you know, supported by their husbands' salaries. And their, their work as, with the poor was, was sacrificial. It was, it was something they did out of kindness in Christian charity. Uh, increasingly, you have the, the politicization, the professionalization of the social work profession. Uh, social workers were turned into fun- government functionaries, bureaucrats. Uh, social, they developed an incentive to create the problems they were supposed to be solving. Social work came to be infused with feminist ideology, which is basically what it is today. Um, so it was it was larger social trends and pressures, economic changes, some of which were impersonal and you know nobody's fault; they just developed. You know, um uh, but um, some of it was ideological. Groups like um, you know radical um, reformers, uh, early feminists, and so forth who did try to politicize the family. Uh, the the the, the Myrdals, uh, their husband and wife team in, in sweden for example was was part of that um, so it's it's hard to say um, but in retrospect yes we we did it without a lot of debate and without a lot of realizing that you know the unintended consequences
0: yeah and you know no fault divorce that was supposed to be so good and helpful and good for the children and avoid conflict in the home and so many decisions that were made Made without foresight, and those that that had foresight often had a radical uh, agenda. So uh, we've only just got a a couple of minutes before we're done. All we can do is is push people in a direction to study and think more. So, obviously, folks, get the book, The New Politics of Sex by Stephen Baskerville. It will get you thinking. It will it will disturb you, but in a positive way, it will disturb you to action. If you could leave our viewers and listeners with a practical thought or two, what do we do to turn the tide? What, what do we do either in our own personal lives or on a broader level to to turn the tide of where things are going? Because it is increasingly going in the direction of something
2: that, that none of us want to see. Yes, I would say the single most important thing is just what you're doing. I mean, I think this needs we need public awareness and we need publicity. We need alternative media who will uh, pay attention to these things and publicize them because... Uh, you know, knowledge is 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 the, is the real power here, and what's and it's what we're lacking. I would also urge those who are in you know a, a, a educational professions, whether it's academics, schools, churches, um, uh, journalism, um, to investigate these things further. I mean, my book is really just a, an annotated bibliography of what some good scholars have already done, but all of these subjects could be every every chapter in my book could be a and subsection could be an entire book in its own right. Yep, yep. Some of them already are, but some of them aren't. So I would urge scholars, students, graduate students, research these issues, follow them up, take my book and and start with it, but but treat it as a bibliography. And but but you know, just, just it's just it scratches the surface.
0: And and do you personally have hope that change can come?
2: I do very much, uh, um, but I think people um, need to. I think people need. I, you may notice that i 'm a bit critical of, of pro family conservatives, and i, I don 't preach to the choir in this book i don 't say things that we all know I, I, I think yes. the most constructive thing is to look at the sin within what are what are we doing wrong? And I am critical of pro family groups and um, you know conservatives, including Christians, who look at just a narrow range of these issues and don 't look at the the broader picture. Um, so that would be the main thing I, I would say and again, you know treat this as just the beginning there 's a huge um, area of information. That needs research and it needs publicity and needs
0: to be explored further. Yeah, and, and to me, part of the hope is that the agenda of which we're speaking and its multifaceted manifestations is self-defeating, is is not good for the long term future of, of a country, of a culture. And Americans are a freedom loving people. And this very agenda is a freedom stealing agenda. So not only is it destructive to future generations. It's destructive for our freedoms today. Hopefully, there'll be an awakening and a pushback, but part of the awakening is to inform, is to educate. So please keep up the good work. Never tire in doing it. We need you to do the research, the digging, and presenting for everyone else. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you, and God bless.
0: God bless. All right, friends, again, Professor Stephen Baskerville, the book, The New Politics of Sex, the sexual revolution, civil liberties and the growth of governmental power. All right, let me just mention this one more time. It is the summer, and during the summer months, a lot of people forget about ministries, for whatever reason, they don't support them the same way. They just get caught up vacation, they're away from normal schedule, busy doing other things. And it's a time when often we feel the crunch a bit more. to do what we're doing, these broadcasts, these messages putting out multiple videos every day, putting out cutting edge articles, key things, getting messages out, going places to serve and minister where we're not paid to do it. We do it joyfully and freely. We do it with your help and support. And this is one of those moments where we could just really benefit from some of your help. We have some pressing, urgent financial needs to do what we're doing. Just what you see to do it, to pay the bills to be able to touch you and minister to you. So if you can help with a one-time gift of any size, we would really help. I mean, today, I mean, right now. So go to askdrbrown.org, askdrbrown.org. Click on donate. Thank you in advance for standing with us. Our God truly meets our needs so we can go and meet the needs of others. And remember, Jesus, present tense, is born.